This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have History on the March. Sponsored by Mobile and hosted by Raymond Graham Swing. It features news and commentary on the war. This episode first aired on August 16th, 1943 over the Blue Network, the forerunner of what we know today as ABC. A little explanation is probably in order about the Blue Network. The network was formerly part of NBC, which controlled two networks, the more prominent and larger Red Network and the smaller Blue Network. As part of antitrust litigation, NBC was forced to divest the Blue Network. It sold the network on July 30th, 1943, to American Broadcasting System, Inc. The network would continue to identify as the Blue Network until 1945, when it became the American Broadcasting Company, or ABC. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Be sure to visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcasts, where you can find links to past episodes and other information. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ww2radio. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Washington, August 16th, the 616th day of the war. Raymond Graham Swing reviews history on the march. A friendly service from your mobile gas dealer at the sign of the Flying Red Horse. What will this new cut in gasoline rations mean to you? Well, one thing's certain, you can't afford to waste a single drop. And that's why it's more important than ever to have your mobile gas dealer put your car in A1 shape. Why, he can help you stretch as much as 10% more miles from every gallon with this simple program. First, drain out dirty oil and fill the crankcase with clean, fresh mobile oil. Then have him go over the chassis. Give it a mobile lubrication with just the right greases recommended by the men who designed your car. And finally, have him check all vital accessories. Clean and test the spark plugs, air filter, and other important points. Remember, this complete program can boost your mileage as much as 10%. And that's equal to an extra gallon of gasoline in every 10. Drive in at the sign of the Flying Red Horse. Now, Mr. Swing from Washington. Good evening. Prime Minister Churchill denied today that he told the Quebec cabinet last week that the war in Europe will be over within six months. 
The denial was made through a representative of the British Ministry of Information at a special press conference. The Prime Minister, the spokesman said, wished the denial to have the widest circulation. It was occasioned by publication in two French-language newspapers in Quebec of the report that the Prime Minister, speaking in French, had said that the war would be over, to translate the phrase literally, from now to a half-dozen of months. Before the report appeared in the French newspapers, the remark had traveled with the speed of light over the grapevine of Quebec. The denial and the report which prompted it have been the highlight of the news from Quebec today, and the incident has gone to emphasize the importance of the decisions to be expected at the conference. The news that Foreign Secretary Eden is to attend it confirms the supposition that it will deal with political as well as military problems. Secretary Hull, who lunched with President Roosevelt today, said at his morning press conference that he himself does not plan to go to Quebec, nor does Under Secretary Wells. There is no official confirmation of the widely published and widely believed assertion that Secretary Eden, as soon as the Quebec conference ends, will go to Moscow and may be accompanied by Mr. Wells. The speculation about the Quebec conference has now crystallized and assumes that on the military side, it will deal with the opening of a second front, which is widely referred to as a landing in France. It also assumes that the combined staffs will complete plans for an attack on Burma. On the political side, it assumes that the topics to be discussed are, first, the policy toward the Badoglio government in Italy, including the status of Rome as an open city, and also the final touches to an agreement to recognize the French National Committee. Then it predicts that the Allies will institute political discussions with Russia as to the future of Germany, which will be followed by discussions about the post-war reconstruction of Europe. All this, however, is no more than speculation, and the best to be said for it is that it fits the circumstances of the conference and the needs of the hour. Big events are pending. We have President Roosevelt's word for it in his anniversary statement Saturday on the Atlantic Charter. Today he said, we stand upon the threshold of major events in this war. We are determined that we shall gain total victory over our enemies. The statement was issued at the moment he was entertaining Prime Minister Churchill at Hyde Park. And soon, the two will be in Quebec, receiving the plans of the combined military staffs. We must be prepared not to be told much when the conference ends. It deals with great military plans, but they will not be disclosed. Though it initiates major political discussions, they can hardly start auspiciously if accompanied by a fanfare of publicity. As companion piece to Mr. Churchill's denial that he predicted the close of the European war in six months is the statement of War Mobilization Director James Burns in his broadcast this evening. I have the author authorization of the president, he declared, to say that in his judgment, as of today, the major battles lie ahead of us, not behind us. It is by no means clear, he continued, 
that we are today as near winning the war as the Axis was in the summer of 1940. The roads to Berlin and Tokyo are still long, hard, and bloody. The Russians tonight did not report gains in their fighting on the outskirts of Kharkov and said instead that they had been resisting strong German counterattacks in this region. But they forged forward on the way to Bryansk, taking one town only 18 miles east of it and reoccupying 130 inhabited places. The closing phase of the Battle of Sicily found Messina at last under Allied artillery fire, according to a London broadcast this evening. The 135-mile front is now shrunk to 20 miles, and the escape of Axis troops across the narrow channel to the Italian mainland is continuing. The Axis has concentrated heavier protective anti-aircraft fire over the Straits than the British were able to maintain over London during the Blitz. The British 8th Army, now past Taormina, ran into an unexpected flurry of Italian resistance, which held it up, though only temporarily. And the Americans fought their way to within 15 miles of Messina, beyond Cape Milazzo. The heaviest air raid ever made on Milan has left that city a heap of ruins, and its population, forbidden to evacuate the city, is reported to be in a state of despair and anger, which has had to be curbed by both Italian and German troops. The Milanese are especially enraged that Rome has declared itself an open city, while they're forbidden under martial law to escape the British raids. According to unreliable border rumors, nine-tenths of the city has been devastated. With the Battle of Sicily in its final throes, it becomes possible to make a preliminary appraisal of the victory. And it is one that does not confirm an opinion now creeping into current discussion as though it were a truism that the Battle of Sicily has taken longer than justifiable. The celebrated editorial in the Moscow Pravda last week, which demanded the opening of a second front in Europe, dismissed the Battle of Sicily as having been fought against two German divisions and a few Italians. Statements from London are being made to point out how hard the fighting will be against the Germans when the continent is reached, saying that it has taken more than five weeks to defeat three German divisions in Sicily. Both statements are strikingly superficial. The Allies have had to fight about 14 divisions in Sicily, of which 10 were Italian and four were German. The Allies invaded with a force that was considerably smaller than the defending armies. General Walter Smith, chief of staff to General Eisenhower, says the defenders outnumbered the invaders by one-third. Not all the Axis troops were first class. The four German divisions were, and five of the Italian divisions were mobile and able to put up a good resistance. The other five Italian divisions were coastal and were not very effective. The Axis troops fought close to their supply lines, while the Allies had to bring their supplies a considerable distance and land them across the beaches. They had to set up all their port installations when they came into possession of a port. And though the defenders put up a poor show in resisting the landings, as soon as they got into the interior where the mountainous terrain was adapted to it, they fought hard. Their best defense was on the Etna line, and because this was reached last, the Axis forces had more time 
to lay mines and carry through demolitions. The roads here were so heavily mined, and the demolition of the many bridges was so thorough that the Allies had to leave the roads altogether, which made progress slow. In some cases, they had to resort to amphibious operations to land behind the enemy lines and make their advance that way. Taking these conditions into account, the less than six weeks needed by an original Allied force of 160,000 men to develop a campaign which would drive out 300,000 men has not only been swift, it has been exceptionally so. And it, it need be no secret that the Sicilian campaign is closing a full fortnight earlier than the frankly hopeful estimate for it before it was launched. One reason it has gone so well has been the superb training and condition of the invading armies. The factor will be present when the war is carried to the European mainland. We now are told that Americans who never had been in battle before comprised a part of the American contingent and that these troops fought like veterans from the start without having to go through the ripening needed by some of the American troops at Kasserine Pass in Tunisia. Another favorable factor has been allied air supremacy. Air Marshal Sir Arthur Cunningham, who has overall command of the allied air forces, points out that the German army is having to learn to fight without air cover. He also points out that our forces are not learning this lesson. But he remarks that when the allies get to fighting on the European continent, the air weather will not be so perfect as it has been over Sicily. In Europe, generally, the ground can be seen from 6,000 feet only two or three days out of five. So we shall not have quite so much of the edge from our air superiority as we have had in Sicily. He spoke with utmost admiration of the work of flying fortresses, which before the invasion of Sicily had begun, had destroyed all but 20 or 30 of the total enemy fighter force of 300 planes. Today, the fortresses were on a mission of blasting airfields in northern France. There's no doubt, Marshal Cunningham declared, that the fortress weapon is an absolute killer. Nobody foresaw the terrific effect of fortress raids. Certainly we didn't, and I'm confident the Germans didn't. The Marshal stated that German planes remain good but testified that German air personnel appears to have suffered a complete loss of fighting spirit. The crews are not efficient, and their wastage of machines is great. A new reign of terror swept today over Norway. The country was put under martial law. An order emanating directly from Hitler calls for the arrest of all Norwegian army officers who have been on general parole and their removal to prisons in Germany. And in Oslo, the chief of the civil department of the police was executed, and all members of the Oslo police were forced to take an oath of loyalty to German authorities under a threat of being executed along with him. The officers at first refused, but finally took the oath. London attributes the crisis to the passing of Quisling as the puppet leader in Norway. His power is going to Jonas Lee, who has been put in charge of all the police in Norway except the Gestapo, with authority to establish military courts. This makes him a bigger shot than Quisling. 
Martial law probably was declared today to permit Lee to carry out measures without obstruction from the quisling elements. And now, a friendly message to wartime America. You've heard people blame most everything under the sun for food scarcities and high prices. But have you ever stopped to think that prices can be held in line only if we all do our part? That's why right now our government is asking each and every one of us to take this home front pledge. First, resolve never to pay more than ceiling prices. Second, pledge that you won't accept rationed items without giving up the proper stamp. Remember, if you fall down on this pledge, you're helping to upset the whole ration system. So won't you check price ceilings carefully before you buy and steer clear of black market profiteers who try to sell you rationed items without stamps. Remember, we're all part of a great American army, holding the line against the rising cost of living. It's our job and our duty to hold it fast. For history on the march, follow Raymond Graham Swing. And for friendly wartime car service, drive in at the sign of the Flying Red Horse. This is the Blue Network.